The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests as individuals and do not necessarily reflect those of advertisers or sponsors. This show is intended as entertainment and commentary only. The producers strive for verisimilitude, but nothing said on this podcast should be taken as fact by the listener or viewer without performing due diligence. The existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. There is no necessity for it whatsoever. It isn't going anywhere. That is to say, it doesn't have some destination that it ought to arrive at. This is Keep Your Hat On, a show by three nerdy nobodies and one nerdy kind of somebody about nothing in particular. Keep Your Hat On is brought to you by the Narrow Band Broadcast Network, NBBN. The focus is on you. By PodSquadPDX.com. Painless podcasting. And by the kind support of KYHO fans everywhere via Patreon. Create on your own terms. On this episode, it's season two of my indentured servitude, and the fearless fedoras have really gotten La Casa Nostra down to a science as they wonder willingly about the word woke. Yeah, this should go smoothly. I'm your ever-disembodied announcer, Mr. Brumage, and production note, I'm still waiting on my check for season one. Anywho, meet the new hats. Same as the old hats. Here's Andrew, Robert, Dr. Mark, and Puff Daddy himself, Chris. Hello, and welcome back to Keep Your Hat on the Show, where hell even we don't know where we're going to go. I'm Andrew Scott, along with my good friend, Chris Vacano. And my other good friend, Robert Anthony, and of course, our third good friend, Dr. Mark Peterson, professor of philosophy in the University of Wisconsin. Welcome to season number two, episode one. How's everybody doing? Doing puffed. You are puffed? I am puffed. I want to hear about your puffness. I don't Much know. Time. I don't know whether I want to hear about this puffness. <laughs> That's something you get a cream or ointment for, is it? Uh, well, you're not too far off, uh, uh, actually. right. It turns right. out NSAIDs. Yeah, get me um, up to speed here, buddy. Yeah, so uh, much to much to my consternation on Sunday night after after I was family dinner, done, but okay. uh, <laughs> my jaw started aching, and oh, I reached up and I felt, and discovered that my lymph nodes were swelling up and you know it was achy and sore and and i just did nothing about it i figured i'd call the doc the next day you said this was what Uh, sunday night is it uh, yeah that was sunday night uh so uh monday it had swollen up i mean even more and it was really painful i didn't go to sleep with a goiter what (laughs) i was just like exhausted yeah that's the thing i kept thinking was goiter funny when you do this you go uh yeah exactly it does immediately make you worry and yet I'm not having any other symptoms, you know. You didn't no have any throat, like real nothing. pain or anything, no throat. No, it was just it was just I mean, sore up here a little bit. Look, pain I'm gonna cop to the ear. fact that like, you know, immediately we hear a swollen gland and everybody goes, COVID you know. So Yeah. Well except that clearly not COVID not because sinuses go. were clear, okay. nose was clear. Uh, but the only thing was, I was really tired. What about your and, ear? And your associated ear? A, a little bit of ache in my ear. Okay. Yeah, but I wasn't sure whether that was causative or sympt- uh, or symptomatic. Right. So first, I called the doc and scheduled an, an appointment, and then uh, I started taking, you know, ibuprofen and uh, acetaminophen. Uh, acetaminophen, and uh, 
that actually it was amazing because by that night it, it had shrunk back down it felt better i was able to sleep i went and saw the doc the next morning uh he checked it out the cool thing about that uh, is he had this i mean it was awesome i i was apart I was like from like stoked. going to the doctor cool and getting it like finding out yeah i was so stoked on this because he had this little handheld ultrasound that he was able to plug into his phone. Oh, toys. And, and, and he ultrasounded my neck, and I'm like, all right, no that joke. is really cool technology. I want one of those. Okay, here, and I thought that I was Did cool. Did you find out how expensive a, it is? I thought I was cool I because did. I had a fiber optic camera that I could stick into a hole in the wall and look at all the dirt in between my, <laughs> in between my <laughs> stuff, right. you know? Right. So, I mean, why, yeah, I mean, why otherwise, you otherwise, it was why a pointless trip to the doc because he, he was just like, yeah, it's, it's probably a little viral infection. I'm surprised you don't have any other symptoms. You might get a sore throat in a couple days. Take NSAIDs. If it's not gone in two weeks, let's talk about antibiotics. Did he suggest uh, but, that you have a COVID test? Uh, he didn't. I, I'm, let's see, I was just kind of interested in that. You know, did did his ultrasound make him go, nah, this... Uh, uh, yeah, he, he, he looked at the ultra, ultrasound, saw that the two nodes were were swollen up. They, uh, they weren't very swollen. One was like one centimeter by one centimeter, and the other was one by one and a half. Uh-huh. Um, and he's like, yeah, this this looks like a really, you know, a very typical sort of you caught lymph, a thing. lymph node. You know, yeah. it's either bacteria or, you or some mi- mild well, I'm virus. Glad to hear that, I'm glad to hear that it's nothing but, to be concerned about. I am sad to hear that we have now, as we start season two, uh, devolved back into simply talking about our middle-aged maladies. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, 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 that's news. for yourself, John. The thing, yeah. that made the, whole, <laughs> no. the thing that made the whole trip worthwhile was was the little handheld ultrasound. Oh, I, I mean, yeah, that I look at that as a cool. payoff, too. Yeah, because yeah. the rest of it just sucks. I mean, yeah. Yeah. he basically, you went into the doctor for him to tell you that you had swollen lymph nodes. Uh, yeah, but I'll go in much. if my lymph nodes are swollen, man. That's a sign of 8 million different things, and I want to know which one it is. So well, I would like to take a moment, as we're talking about this, to, uh, <laughs> to cheer the fact that the dude is in remission. I heard that. Uh, yeah, that, um, that Jeff Bridges... And with all the celebrity bad news that we had recently... Yeah, that Jeff Bridges announced that he and his cancer are in remission. And not only that, he was at death's door with COVID while he was in treatment for his cancer. He said, I was getting myself ready to go. And, yeah, from everybody here at Keep Your Hat On to, you know, somebody that we all old dear both as a character and as a, a very accomplished actor of our generation mm. uh jeff thanks so much for letting us all know about your fight your struggle and the fact that you're doing better and we all continue to hope that uh you do so long into the future i tell you what everybody we are on a new path and are trying to keep our show a little tighter so we're going to bounce away to a break but we're going to be right back in just a second to have a very interesting discussion that I think you're all going to want to be a part of. I'm Andrew Scott. That's Dr. Mark Peterson. That is Ty Robert Anthony. And that is Christopher Vaccano with slightly less swollen lymph nodes. And this is Keep Your Hat On on the Narrowband Broadcast Network. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Hey, everybody. Michael, your stalwart announcer here, the voice of the Keep Your Hat On podcast. 
We really hope you're enjoying the shows we put out every month and the bonus goofiness we try and throw in. If you do, we'd really appreciate your support. While we'd love it if you could help us out with a monthly donation by heading over to patreon.com nbbn, please don't forget that you can also support us by telling your friends, relatives, the hot Amazon delivery guy, hell your potted fern, about the show, and do the like, click, and subscribe thing. That's free, and it helps us out more than you might suspect. We just want to keep putting something good out into this bananas world at this extra bananas time. And we want you along for the ride. No matter what, thanks so much for audio visualizing. Now, let's get back to the show. We're back with Keep Your Hat On. I'm Andrew Scott, along with my good friends, Robert Anthony and Christopher Vacano, and Dr. Mark Peterson, professor of philosophy. What do you... I'm checking my lymph nodes now. Everybody's checking their lymph nodes now. Hey, uh, Ties, speaking of lymph lymph nodes, I need a sucker. Have you you got an extra? I I do. I do. As a matter of fact, here you go. A spoonful of medicine... Oh, that's real funny, Ty. A dum dum. <laughs> really? You're trying to? Ha ha! Very funny. Ooh, yeah. It, we're we're still in. This is that's the how beta, I do. This is the beta version of the transportation yeah, circuit. The so yeah, yeah. sorry yeah. about that, Chris. But at least you got root beer. I know you like root beer. Mm, well, listen, folks. Um, we're gonna start a little bit of a discussion here. Something that's been on all our minds to one degree or another uh, has been. And I guess I'm struggling with a way to to phrase this well that doesn't load the topic full of uh, preconceptions. But, you know, we as a nation of people and around the world, to one degree or another, have been dealing with this idea of being woke, of doing what you can to realize the problems in our lives separately and collectively and just trying to be a better person. And that's that's something that we've kind of wanted to offer in this podcast is four guys who are just trying to figure out ways to be better human beings. But there does come a time where what you're doing and how you're doing it crosses over from trying to be a better person and actually winds up making the situation both locally and globally worse. So this came about for me at least, uh, from an article that was published uh, June 30th of 2020, of last year, called uh, The Promise and Problems of Being Woke. And this is in Psychology Today. We'll have the link down below to this original article. But this brings up some really interesting points. The first thing is, what do we mean by being woke? Okay. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll read a little bit of this article. So many people, especially the youth, have a heightened awareness of our troubled past and, understandably, seek to correct our collective wrongs. This is where the term woke comes into play. It is defined as, quote, aware of and actively attentive to important facts and issues, especially issues of race and social justice, end quote. Now, to me, off the top, that sounds pretty reasonable. That kind of sounds like, yeah, that kind of sounds like what I have been, particularly over the last 20 or so years of my life, what I've been trying to do. I've been trying to 
take those institutional blinders off that were put on me as a member of this society for one reason or another, some reasons not bad, but all the reasons are enough reason for me to not want them on anymore. But at the same time, we all know, and we have ample data points in each of our lives, somebody who is being so conscious of that and putting out into the world just how conscious they are of it, that it makes you go, really? Are you really? So I throw this out to you guys. Where does a person's behavior cross over from trying to be conscientious and be a better person to what we now see as the pejorative term woke, which is very showy, willing to cancel on people in a very outwardly visible fashion and really just try to use their conscientiousness to shut discussion down. I think, I think you, you actually hit the magic term there a moment ago uh, when you said cancel. I think where the line gets crossed is when, first of all, just a verbal expression of how woke you are. You have to sort of look at the intention behind that. Uh, and, and, and we see it a lot in social media. A lot of times it comes out more in the comments than in the posting, in, in, in my experience. No, the comments and, are always the sandbox where people start kicking sand. That's, well, that's exactly. where they feel it's and, and, safe to do, do so. And, and, and so I think you've got to go to the, the, the intention of, of both the announcement and the cancellation of somebody else, you know, the tearing down someone else. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it to truly work at the problem? Or are you doing it to tear down someone else and elevate yourself above yeah. those people and put yeah. yourself in a position of power, which, which is, is not much better than what you are attempting to criticize, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, Mark? Can we back out and let's just let's back out and get a little bit more of a perspective on this, right? Because the original idea in, in being woke meant being awakened. Typically, what this really meant was if you look like us, right? Um, and we're sort of the poster children we sort of for are, white are, privilege. Our two let's generations, face, white let's men. Let's just face up yeah. to that. Yep. And I know I certainly am, by the way, <laughs> um, based on how I was raised and the rest of it. Um, and I had all the advantage. And so typically woke meant what happened when you took a bunch of white kids and you said, you know, you've actually got some privileges. You're privileged in ways that a lot of other people aren't, right? It's like, I don't get stopped for driving while black, right. for instance. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I can give you another weird one, which was that... Um, I remember when I turned 50, I hadn't been pulled over for a speeding ticket since I was in my 20s when they would nail me in a heartbeat, right? Hippie kid. Yeah, I had the same length of hair, but at the time, this was like, you know, threatening. It was the shirt. So, so yeah, I bet you it was the shirt. <laughs> but um, uh, I got pulled over in my 50s, and this was the first time a cop ever called me sir oh. and gave me a warning. Yowza. And it was like, being an older white guy is even better better all right mm -hmm. so this idea of waking kids up to their privilege this is how this sort of starts right and being awake to um awake to that which is really difficult if you grow up in you know i grew up in like suburban chicago i went to high school at ferris bueller's high school right i remember right. you saying that that whole deal okay um, and so you wake up to this and you go, oh, shoot, we should do something about this. Okay, this is like the good side of things, right? This is like being socially conscious as a person to injustice and all the rest of this stuff. It's awesome. Okay. 
But then two things happen, right? The first reaction comes from people who hate. So let's say you go, you know, we need to really do something more about civil rights, and we really need to do something more about women's rights, and we really need to do something more about minorities and ethnic minorities' rights in this country if we want to be happy Americans. Uh, there are people who will have a complete meltdown if you say that to them because they think you're attacking them. Yeah. Right? And so then this is where you start to get woke as the pejorative, right? It's like, oh, you woke people think you're better than everybody else. Yeah. You get this so far? And this, by the way, I just got a hate letter, an actual written in cursive, um, because of a column I wrote about critical race theory about five months ago. Anyway, and this poor woman is... Um, was just totally freaked out and angry at me for having pointed out that we should probably do something about privilege in our culture. Okay, so there's this reaction from the right wing which has changed the meaning of the term to something pejorative and stupid. Now, that's the first stage. But the second thing happens, and this goes back to what you guys were saying, right? If we go back to where we, where we were here, um, there are all sorts of entitled, privileged little white kids who now need to virtue signal, right? This is the virtue signaling, how incredibly virtuous that they are, that they understand about this. And they've gone completely over the top, right? Mm -hmm. About what is and is not politically correct. And political correctness is the previous version. It's the 1.0 version of woke. Yeah. And so now we have now we have trouble from both sides. This is what I'm saying. It's like there's the value, which is do we want to be a decent place to live, right? And do we want to get over our hang-ups and stuff that we are just inherited or not? Well, some people hate the fact that you pointed this out, right? And so this idea of woke is like, you know, the right wing's latest chew toy. And then you have all the people on the left who are not helping anything. No, I was just going to go holier, there. holier than thou. And uh, yep. the reason I'm a little triggered by this conversation is I have all of these. The, the students in my classes are like working class blue collar farm kids. Right. And if you if I were just to go into class and say, um, well, you know, you were a bunch of just privileged little white brats. Right. If I said something crazy like this. I guarantee to you that if you grew up in a trailer park and you're white, you don't feel privileged at all. No. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so this is where part of the pushback, I think, is coming from on the term on the term woke. But then you get all these kids at these elitist, you know, they're all at Harvard and Yale, aren't they? Mm -hmm. You know, um, uh, smart aleck kids who was like, well, you people just don't know anything about privilege. That thing. It's interesting to me that one of the biggest points of rub is what you just suggested or pointed to and one of the things that i'm trying to find a way to work with and that is this idea that there are certain levels of self-acknowledgement when it comes to privilege oh that, isn't that that's true? just it and this this dynamic where the middle class doesn't feel privileged the class right. below them the lower middle class doesn't feel privileged the class below them arguably has a right to say, I'm not privileged. You know, yeah. if you're living in a tent, but we as a society and a culture, we need to find a way to admit to ourselves that privilege doesn't equal financial stability. It doesn't equal, uh, you know, having money in the bank or a good job or, or who your father was. Privilege is something that for the most part, as you discovered 
with being pulled over is it's got a tendency to be invisible even to the person for whom the privilege is bestowed upon. That's the most important part, I think, Andy, is it's invisible. To, you know, I always like to say that the goldfish doesn't know it's in a bowl, mm-hmm. right? That's, yeah, it's and a good we're analogy. All sort of, we're all goldfish swimming in water, and we don't see the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I think, I think you're right. onto something good here, Andy, that, that yeah, when we, when we attach it to economics or when we look at it through an economics lens, hmm. it's, it's really hard to see things like racial or gender privilege. However... Isn't economics in itself sort of a continuum of privilege where... Oh, dear. You know, this is one of those pieces, Chris. I think this is such a great observation. Um, We're allowed to talk about uh, social justice when it comes to race, right, Uh, and gender, but we're we're still not allowed to talk about economic class. No. That is a no-no. That you're not allowed to know what somebody else makes at the same company you do working the same job you do. That and, kind of you know, thing. Yeah, and like the idea that, you know, even talking about the working class now is like somehow like horrible. Yeah, like, right? the, like being working class is in and of itself a pejorative term. Well, yeah, right. that, 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 that not being wealthy in this country is some sort of moral failure. And it well, is. and right. that wealth is is the, the potential. Wealth, the, the wealth is 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 inherently because of its accumulation through generations in itself. Yeah, generational approach. wealth versus earned earned wealth. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say that. Um, you know, and I'm going to use the term American dream here, but the oh, the, yeah. the classic American dream is I might not have money now, but nobody has the right to keep me from making as much of it as I possibly can in the future. And not only that, I am entitled to that potential. Entitled to a potential. So I always, I always blame John Calvin for all of this, and this is a little bit naive, but it's like... Your reachbacks are always... I, I love them because that's, yeah. that's a reach long backs. reach, but it's still totally relevant. <laughs> You know, it's like people think, what do you do for a living? And the answer is, I crawl around in the basement crawl spaces of Western civilization with a flashlight looking for cracks. That's essentially my whole job. (laughs) Um, But, you know, America is founded by these Calvinists, right, in Massachusetts Bay Colony. And that predestination stuff kind of washes forward. This is a very kind of oversimplification, of course, but it's a nice way to start to think about it. In America, wealth becomes a sign of God's grace. And it's like, you know, if and by the way, if you were a pilgrim after the first, you know, generation or two and you're living in Boston, man, you had every good reason to believe that you were chosen by God. Right. Because the Native American population had already been uh, not decimated, obliterated. Right. By this point, so that there's a lot of free land. It had never really been cultivated using Western or uh, European technologies, plenty of game. The fish, you know, in Cape Cod, the average size cod they were pulling out in those days was a hundred pounds. Yeah, and they were as big as a six-year-old. Yeah. So if you know, if you were asking yourself, it's like, I wonder if you know, does God shed His grace on thee through material wealth? And the answer is, well, obviously. And and so who who are the worthy ones? Who are the elect? Right. Well, it's obviously it's us. And so what this is what what this is to sort of piggyback on what Chris was saying, which was that. That being poor, therefore, is a sign of God's displeasure. Yeah. And it has this moral character. It's not bad luck ever. No. Which, of course, and, 
It is. You know, you just you right? just gave me a great insight there, which I, I've been wrestling with for a long time. So thank you for thank you for turning the light bulb on. That explains to me why, in the time we live in now, it is so easy for gospel of wealth Christian oh. preachers are right. so able to wrap themselves in the cloak of patriotism. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, right. and, 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 and why there is such a hand-in-hand relationship between the strong, you know, vociferous patriotism and, and the likes of Joel Osteen and, and his followers. Or, those guys. Or, or, yeah. yeah, those guys. Yeah. It winds up being a feedback loop. You're right. The religion feeds into the overt patriotism, and the overt patriotism reaches back to, to loop around onto... This 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 hyper religious idea that these are these are destined by God, available by to God. those who believe. It's a symptom. Of, so this is why, for example, I mean, the, since the since 1950, um, when uh, uh, certain political parties started to go after FDR's New Deal, right? Movement conservatism. Um, their whole shtick has been the same, which is that the function of government is to take money away from rich people who are hard workers and beloved by God and give it to lazy, stupid, poor people who are hated by God, the symptom of which is that they actually are poor. Yeah, they wound up being poor. And so this is how you get the whole, this. This is a religious commitment. Well, and, and, if, just, and if they're and that, hated by God, then it's OK for them to be hated by me. Exactly so, right. And then that's right. that winds up blowing up into something that really is encapsulated in only two words and that is manifest destiny yeah this this idea that we're we've been put here by god okay and so you just you you go down all the bullet points and you see all the asterisks of assumption behind the thing we've been put here by god on this fertile land to do with it as we please just so long as we are good stewards and the and we and it worked great rolling out across the continent, right? So we you know we slaughtered Native Americans everywhere we went and anybody else who got in the way, but now that we've taken the whole country, now we've turned this back on ourselves socially, mm-hmm. right? And so those poor people are keeping us from really having a decent country here. Well, I tell you what, let's do. We're going to jump away to another break, and when we come back on the other side, uh, Doctor Peterson, I have a poignant and uh, pointed question to ask you about all this as well. But we're also going to hear from Ty, who has been very patient with us wordy bastards talking about Thank you, Ty. <laughs> but we're going to be right back. This is the Narrowband Broadcast Network. This is Andrew Scott. That is Doctor Mark Peterson. That is Chris Picano. And that is Robert Anthony, and this is Keep Your Hat On, and we'll be right back. I gotta let the dog in. Yeah, don't forget about Boomer. Boomer yeah. don't deserve that. Yeah, Boomer doesn't. Hi, everybody. This is Andrew Scott, the host and producer of the Keep Your Hat On podcast. Look, this pandemic has been really hard on all of us. There's no question. Things were so bad for so long. Everybody locked away, praying to stay healthy, hoping for a solution. 
And for a while, things started legitimately getting better. But now, just when we were thinking we could get back to some kind of normal, we have the Delta variant, which is much more transmissible, like 60% more. And it makes more people sicker, including young people. We may be through with coronavirus, but coronavirus is sure the hell not through with us. Feeling helpless feels awful, but we are not helpless. Both of the MNRA vaccines are highly effective against both the Gamma and Delta variant, especially when it comes to keeping people out of the hospital. Statistically speaking, if you get either MNRA shot, your chances of getting coronavirus are very, very low. And if by some unfortunate quirk you do, your chances of passing it on are significantly lower. Your chances of having to be hospitalized are even lower. And your chances of dying are nearly zero. Yes, both Pfizer and Moderna are working on variant-specific boosters right now. But honestly, any shot of any kind is better than remaining unprotected. Truth is, the more unvaccinated people we have, the more mutations and variants we'll see. And there's a chance they'll be even worse than what we're dealing with now. You're sick of this, we're sick of this. So do what it takes to help fight it. Do everyone a favor. Keep wearing your mask in public, stay vigilant, and get your damn shot, any shot. That's how we fight this fucking virus, for all of us. In the US, go to vaccines.gov or contact your local health authority worldwide to find out where to get yours today. This has been a public service message from the KYHO team. And welcome back to our last segment of Keep Your Hat On. I'm Andrew Scott, along with my good friend, Chris Vacano and Robert Anthony, and Dr. Mark Peterson. And Chris, uh, as... In our last segment, we were talking a little bit. I dropped the the, the word bomb, manifest destiny, and you said yeah, you, had, you were, uh, you were to talking follow about manifest that destiny, and you got me thinking. Uh, you, you were talking about how yeah, we re- we reached the Pacific, and then manifest destiny, we turned inward on ourselves, and yeah. and I started thinking about yeah, cleaning out the uh, oh. cleaning out the, the the weak and the and the and the unlikables and the unfavored by God among us. Um, which leads us right back to uh, really this this whole uh, kind of where we started, where um, it's it's not just economic unlikables; it's 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 the othering of yeah. lots of different kinds of people. And Near why different. that is so dangerous is because you are then marked for deletion. Yeah, and yeah. and that's uh, you know that's oh, yeah. kind of scary to me. No, I, I would agree with you. As a disabled person, I've been marked for deletion a number of times, and As have and, I. and rather recently politically. Um, so yeah, but uh, Mark, what what <laughs> yeah. what would um, I'm just 
woodshedding here. What would Plato say about where, where we are with this right now? I want to get bracelets that say, what would Plato WWPD <laughs> on them? You know? yeah. um, because there's a lot of, you know, it's like... Uh, we could sell those on the merch shop. I was just going to say, let's <laughs> check the merch let's, let's shop at some point in the future. I'll get, we, we I'll get, get to work on the artwork for that. Yeah, yeah. before those guys over at the at the Unemployed Philosophers... <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> now, right As of right now, when this thing goes live, that fucker is trademarked, son. Okay, yep. all right. It's in, it's in the hopper. Okay, well, so one of the really handy things about Plato is like a Swiss army knife of Plato you can use on things. Plato always would start off by asking a question like what's the purpose of this thing what's its function yeah and then once you know what that is then you can figure out all the rest of it right and so for plato the question is what's the function of a society and he's, he makes this really great observation this drives my libertarian buddies completely mental all three of them but he goes he says of course the reason why cities and nations come into existence is because nobody is self-sufficient ah oh boy boom okay well so the function of a society, and this is the quick, short version of his republic, which is... You know, yeah, this is a quick, short a version of, of an entire class. Of uh, 15 weeks of pain, yes. <laughs> um, the short version is that the function of a society is to make it possible for people to be happy. And how do you do that, right? And the, here's Plato's answer to this question about how do you make someone happy? And the answer is... You make it possible for them to be everything that they actually are, to fulfill their purpose as a human being. And if you make that possible, then people will be happy and society will be happy. That this is the reason why privilege matters is becoming aware of it. It's like, um, if I'm not aware of my own privilege, I'm not aware of the way other people have been kept from having the same stuff I get right the same opportunities even it's like or, or, you know or. i don't see any reason why we have to you know just like give people you know money and stuff to equalize we need to give people the same opportunities the same space to, and this yeah. that's it the same space to become who they really are and that right? does not equal this idea of level the playing field uh, no. that's something that drives me nuts this idea no, that in there's order... no playing field here, right? It's yes, not a exactly. Field. It's not a playing field. <laughs> not... Yeah, and so it's that, like that's, a, that's a straw man from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, it's not right. So um, we're not leveling the playing field. You know, the other thing that, that's involved here is people believe that when they have to give up, that that, that they're going to be have to give up some of their privileges. But of course, that's not the case at all. No. The tr the, I just want everybody in this country to have the same privilege as I have. Yeah, it's, right? it, it's not that? pie, right? <laughs> it, exactly. It's, it's right. It's not pie. So everybody has to, you know, giving people the opportunity to uh, become who they really are, right? Freed from all sorts of constraints that aren't really necessary. And I think one of the problems is where this points to, uh, in, a, in a platonic mm -hmm. sense, is that's what Plato would say the function of a society is. What's not answered there, and it actually, if you think about it, it's more answered in, in people like Aristotle and even in people like Camus, is this idea that how do you get the people in society to want the best for everyone else in an yeah. equal fashion? Yeah, there's the rub. That really is where you trip <laughs> over it, because you can look at yeah, what Plato says and you go, well, yeah, duh, but well, then it turns the light on people who frankly, and I'm just going to say it, are just being selfish pricks. Are just, oh, yeah. And they don't want that for everybody else because then it makes them and their acquisition of either wealth or security or stability, it makes them feel 
less empowered and less accomplished because, well, oh, I guess everybody has the ability to do this. You know, uh, you mentioned you mentioned Camus, and he he went even farther with it, and and he posed the really troubling question of what is it you're doing with your life to justify <laughs> the space and the resources that you consume. You know, what are you oh, yeah. doing to justify your existence? And th- that circles to, I think, a question that is so hard for people and, and makes it, s- when, when we're challenged to recognize our own privilege, we are then posed with the question of, where is my privilege, where is that envelope encroaching on someone else's ability to live their best life? And more and, importantly, and I think gets, what's my responsibility to both myself and the world at large when it comes yeah. to this privilege? Right. Or do I even have any responsibility? Yeah, exactly. That's where I Camus winds yeah. up that, going. That takes, yeah. us, that takes us into the realm of mindfulness, which I would throw to Ty, and I'd, I'd really love to hear kind of your thoughts picking up here. Yeah, now for yeah, you, pe- this is what you do. Man. <clears throat> yeah, for people, uh, for our viewers and listeners, uh, our, our good friend Robert has spent a lot of time in his in his in his working life, uh, working with displaced and disadvantaged populations. And you know, I imagine Robert, there's been a lot of times where you, as a person with a level of visibility in those communities, really tries tries to lead. Um, and I guess lead is, in, at least you try to present a an appearance of somebody who has worked from a bad place up into a good place, or a better place at least, you know, with your, with your life, with your recovery. You know, we're both, we're people you know, who have addictive uh, backgrounds and things like that. And using your own life as an example, how do you use your life as an example in that space without coming off as virtue signal yeah that's a very good question where you know you share your life experience right uh you see somebody struggling um that seems to be resonating with you and you let them know hey you know i was there and it's been a hard long journey but you can do it, too, if you want to. How do you not come off as being rah-rah about that? And at the same time, how do you not make somebody... How do you illustrate your awareness of their situation without putting the weight of that situation on them, saying, well, this is why you're having a problem? They have to do it. The adage, you know, you can lead a horse to water, right? So, and this is a, a thing that I've heard from you guys today uh, in this conversation, was. Just recognizing the privilege, just really seeing the privilege, nothing more, but just seeing your privilege and then asking the question, what is my responsibility to do about this privilege or to do with this privilege, right? So with these people that are often houseless, you know, um, to not be a cheerleader means, hey, how are you feeling about this? How is this working out for you? What do you see in your future? And how can I support you in getting there? Right? Um, and then when they fall down and they say, I just, you know, they fall down in depression or, or just, you know, they get miserable because things aren't happening. Right? That's where you become a little bit of the cheerleader. Maybe I share my story. Maybe I point to the things that they've already done to better their life, even though it's not in their face, 
what they're working towards is around the corner. Now, that corner could be a long corner, right. but it's there, right? And you just have to believe that it's there and you have to keep doing it. Well, and, and I think one of the things, one of the important distinctions here is a, a willingness to share your story versus a an insistence in making your story known outside of context and that's one of the things that i think is happening with this idea this backlash against woke culture is being you know having a dawning a self-realization about your behavior and about your privilege versus suddenly having that dawning and putting it up on every single social media platform and on top of all that diving into discussions with no invitation and in the comments because life is in the comments now making sure that not only do you get everybody else to recognize your realization about your privilege, but you actively try to shut down or cancel other people who have not yet had that realization. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what you have here is, and first of all, uh, I think that we're in the middle of the first act of this snapback. I agree with you. Uh, I I saw this snapback coming uh, Mm -hmm. long before it even became snapback, right? So this movement was getting momentum and that was great. This, but how do you keep people in the vehicle? And people weren't concerned about keeping people in the vehicle, right? Society no, their does, arms and heads were outside the windows. And no they were getting the whiplash, right? Yeah. They're getting whiplash and then pretty soon they're wanting to step out of the car and then, oh, shame on you. Shame, shame, shame for shame, right? That's not what you do. That's not how you do it. What we've not been doing, what this movement has not been doing, is asking the right questions. How, oh, yeah. How do you come to the place of your perspective? And can you understand my perspective? And what you've got is you've got a bunch of people, these woke folks, a large number of them, are becoming the very thing that they're railing against in a very... It sounds right. Yeah with a lot of hypocrisy sort of a place of intellectual privilege is well everybody's pointing at everybody else right right the the thing is is you don't stand up and say i'm woke you let somebody else say hey that guy's that dude's woke man he's he really he's really doing the work right ty you guys have had a lot of practice with this stuff but it's um you know i have family members and stuff i I went to al-anon a bit because i had family members in aa right Mm -hmm. And um, they used to talk about 12th steppers, yeah, <laughs> which were people who would, you know, the 12th step is go now and, uh, you know, help other people, you know, with their addiction problems. And it, I'm wondering whether or not this has a kind of relationship to that, right? Because it's like, you know, you admit your own privilege and now you don't go through any of the steps that are involved in actually coming to grips exactly. with that and becoming a better person. You jump immediately to helping every, you know, to you focus this outward instead of actually doing and i think i think that's that's exactly what's happening here with this cancellation right you did this you need and i think some of this cancellation actually stems from the me too movement, right and justifiably within that me too movement hey we need to be believed and these people need to be held accountable and somehow uh we've picked that mantle up from that movement and said you know what? You need well, we've to be taken a- it out. We've taken it out of its original context, as mm-hmm. is typically the way when shit starts going sideways with something. Absolutely, absolutely. And now, and now, you need to. You just need to not be part of this conversation. 
I had. A, I, th- I uh, think you're. I think you're right. The way the way cancellation is wielded now, it's, it's like a deputized mob. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and what and, it is, is is people are not focusing inward. So these people that are uh, uh, considered woke are not looking inward to see where their their flaws are, what yeah. what they're doing. And they're looking at people. You can't do that. But they're not looking inside to say, where can I better uh, improve this situation. Well, and I think you just hit on it, Ty. And first off, before before I move forward, uh, you know, full disclosure, we all support the Me Too movement. We think that it was very important progress when it comes to the treatment of of women. Having said that, I think really the crux of the matter here with regard to the whole woke culture and cancel culture is that, as is so often the case, we've allowed personal experience a personally transformative process to be turned into something that you must stick up on your window and broadcast to the outside world in order for it to be considered transformative and valid well and if you're questioning any of this stuff right and you're not hanging that flag you're at risk of being canceled right i had an i had an incident where when the battle cry was defund the police, I was, um, it was not against defunding the police. Okay. Let's, let's look at that. What's the plan? What is the, you know, there's a small community over there in the East coast that did just that. How did they do that? And what did they do? And how can we improve on that? Again, asking the better questions, how can we improve on that? Why we bring it up to scale? And is that possible? Right. Yeah. And instead, not only that, there's no definition. I think the first thing that you led with was the important part. There was no definition of what defunding the police means. It was thrown out there as a catchphrase into the public sphere and everybody was allowed to interpret it in their own way. And I'm not taking a stand for or against what that statement meant. I'm just going back to the point that if you don't have firm context, then it turns it. It's gonna turn into a Donnybrook, and it definitely was this battle cry. You know, let's kill the monster from the villagers. But the yeah. minute that I started pushing back and going, "What are you going to replace this with?" You can't do this without having a plan. The people that were within that circle all started to turn on. Right? Mm. How dare I not be? Def- and we saw it play out in live television. With yeah. that mayor saying, I'm not prepared to defund the police and getting publicly shamed at a gathering on live TV. And this man only days earlier was crying about the injustice that, injustice that was done uh, to Mr. Floyd. He was deeply remorseful and deeply wanted to do something. It's just that he wasn't really to just jump out and become part of the mob mentality yeah well and so often is the case it 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 seems like we simply turn and i don't have a good explanation for why and i don't have a good mechanism for fixing it it just seems that in our modern life especially with the advent of the internet the go-to thing is to shut down discussion to shut down a conversation and not only that to prevent it from ever raising its unfriendly face again and that right. really bothers me. And I'm wondering yeah, about too. this. And we've we've seen this a lot. And Mark, I don't know whether you can speak to this or not, but a number of colleges have trigger rooms, right? And I am hearing a lot about how 
You uh, triggered him, Ty. The kids, the you, kids in college these days don't want to be challenged, and if they're challenged in their belief system, they feel that that's being triggered. And so I think yeah. that's what we're up against here too. Yeah, there's there's a whole there's so many uh, ideas constellated around this. I can, um, my so far, what I've seen is that. So f- first of all, full disclosure. Um, I do not include trigger warnings in my syllabuses. I include trigger guarantees in mine. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, How I, am I, I unsurprised them, by that? I tell them at the beginning of the semester that my job is to make them as uncomfortable and irritable as possible all semester long. There you go. So whatever their beliefs are, they will have to shore them up, right, to think clearly about what they actually think about things. That's my that's my entire job, not telling them what to think, but getting them to start thinking about what they think about. So I, I have not seen any of this in, of course, my students, but, of course, my students are typically at the bottom of the economic college ladder, right? as a rule now um yeah right man this is what this has actually been one of the great joys of working here (laughs) um but if you go to harvard what i found is that the sort of students who need these trigger warnings all go to economically elite and privileged institutions Mm -hmm. um there were some extravagance over at madison um and it's like this is part of the movement you know it's like i see this stuff as like pendulum swinging back and forth right we need to bring out this stuff in the open so there's a sense in which some of these excesses what we might characterize as excesses are not really bad so long as we realize that there we're going that we needed to say this stuff out loud first okay so one of the uh one of the students over in, the, in madison i think she was head of the black student uh, union over there said that they needed to take down the statue of Abraham Lincoln as well because while he freed the slaves he wasn't really pro-black yeah and you could argue that it's like you know we need to think about this a little bit more right but it's like I still want to say that we need to have those we need to have people say that stuff out loud just to get the conversation moving yeah right? so we can come back from Absolutely. it now so I've seen most of this trigger warning stuff at fairly elitist institutions. And when I read the latest New York Times, supposedly the lefty paper on right. this, when they talk about, you know, the horrors of what's going on in colleges, um, it's always Harvard, Yale, Bryn Mawr, one of those Berkeley. places. And this is like, it's not happening in the country, rolling kettle moraine of, of Washington County. Um, but the other side to this, too, and this, I, I wondered about this. Two thoughts come crashed into my head. I've been reading a bunch of Jung. I've been going back through Jung again. And there's a, a constant theme in Jungian psychology, right, which you guys, these Zen boys know this really well, which is that people will do anything to avoid uh, confronting their true selves. Hell yeah. <laughs> and it's like. If this includes your privilege, right, you're immediately going to feel attacked and and you're going to dodge it at any way possible. Okay. The other one on here, and I think I've mentioned this before over the last season, was um, uh, Theodore Adorno, Mm. Frankfurt School of Philosophy, wrote this hilarious book that alienated every college student in France in the 60s called The Jargon of Authenticity. And which, by the way, we're going to put that down as a link in the bottom because I read it back in the day and I remember that really kind of blew my doors off. Yeah, it's actually not uh, considering that it's the Frankfurt School. It's actually kind of accessible. It's not a hard read anyway. But the idea was that that if you have, you know, if you learn all the sexy vocabulary, 
yeah. right? It makes you look. This is the virtue signaling dimension here. Yeah. If you learn all of the way, the, the right way to say stuff, it makes you look like you're authentic without ever having had the experience, right? And so, like, I, you know, I was really lucky that that um, I got to live in in South Alabama. And so I was in I was in much closer proximity to African Americans, and this is no way suggesting I have any understanding of what that could possibly be like. But I got to see what it was like, right, from the outside. And you know, you see that long enough, and you know that that as a white boy, you're never going to have to put up with any of this, right? You know what I mean? Now I, I didn't go all off on this because we all still need to live together, and we all you know we all come up short, right? We're none of us are perfect, and we have to figure out how to manage all that. But, um, you know, there are people, you know, in the, in the, um, in the sixties, this was called radical chic, yeah. right? This is where you had all these rich New Yorkers from fifth Avenue going all beatnik, yeah. right? Like, oh yeah, I'm one of the people. Yeah. And volunteering and, um, at a soup kitchen. Yeah. 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 Shut up. Mm. Right. Exactly. Um, so, uh, this is part of the extravagance. That's what I keep thinking of it. It's the extravagance of of these movements is like they've appropriated the jargon. It's very satisfying to make yourself feel woke, right? But it's like being woke is like now you have to do something. You can't just you can't just parade other than point at other people. Exactly. Right, exactly right. So this is this those are the two thoughts that that screamed into my head when you were talking. No, yeah. I yeah, and thank you for them. And really where this comes back to me uh, as we wrap this discussion up, is, you know, Ty and I are formally, we're, we're Buddhist. We've taken vows and we try to live our lives. We promise to live our lives by a set of precepts. And they're not commandments, they're precepts. Uh, and More of a guideline. Yeah, it is kind of, a, kind of a guideline. And, you know, we don't go to hell if we don't do them. But really, um, one of the things that, in, in, in Buddhism, in any flavor of Buddhism, you know, we hear the term Buddha. And Buddha, in and of itself, the word, the name, means awaken. Yeah, nice. And where this comes back to me is Buddha, when he had his awakening, and I'm going to try not to be all woo-woo uh, spiritual on you here. <laughs> I'm going to try to keep this very practical. When Buddha had his awakening, he didn't suddenly jump up and go, I got to tell everybody else. He didn't suddenly go out and say, I've got it. What he did was he sat with it and he let it inform his life. And if you ever go through any of the Buddhist canons, it took a while before yeah. Buddha even yeah. admitted that it happened yeah and you know as we as we button this all up that actually takes me to uh, an analogy that more people are probably going to be familiar with you know i remember i grew up catholic i grew up a good catholic i'm sorry right well it's okay it was pretty i got better it it was pretty. Well, it i'm feeling much better now. but i enjoy yeah. Yeah, yeah doesn't it yeah well and chris went to catholic school and you know yeah, that's yeah i was brought here. up catholic too and, we, and then we later educated told, by jesuits same here um we often get told uh as part of our our parochial education that there's there's a, a parable i guess about two men in church 
in the pews. And it was time for the collection plate to go around. And one man of modest means, who really had been struggling to be acknowledged in his society, as, as being looked at, he was a merchant, and he wanted to be looked at as being very successful, and that, that he had money to spare, and his life was, was being lived uh, in, 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 a, in a place of, uh, of wealth, even though probably not. But he very carefully took out a $20 bill, and just fill in whatever big number bill in whatever country you're in. And he, very, he raised his hand very high and made sure that it was visible going into the collection plate. And this man of great privilege, who was a few people down from him, very carefully had taken a check for $1,000 that he had written before service and folded it into his hand and very quickly placed his hand and the check over the plate, let the check go, and drew it back. No show, no ostentatious flourish. And that really is where this whole thing kind of comes back to me. Both men were trying to be better men. One man of limited means gave what he could, but made sure that everybody saw how much of it was there. And the other man, who was truly privileged and was aware of that privilege, made sure that he gave as much as possible, but that he did not make anybody else feel bad by showing how much he was giving. And that's really what woke winds up coming back to to me. Nobody here, nobody of us four people, or most likely any of you out there listening or watching, don't have as a goal in your life to try to be better every day. But there's a being better every day for the betterment of yourself and your society and then there's a selfish version that makes sure everybody knows that you're better. How better that winds up being, I'm not entirely sure. So I think I think uh, uh, another way of putting that is is because um, I do have the goal of being better, a little bit better every day, and and that goal is somewhat selfish, um, uh, somewhat internal. But that goal ends up if it, it's it's that oxygen mask thing, right? So yeah, put your own on first, man. If I'm if I'm better, then I make the people around me and the world around me, the immediate world around me, better. And as that ripples out, uh, uh, then maybe I can make the world a better place. And so and- you don't get on the plane and immediately turn around up the concourse and go. Well, I'm going to be the one that puts my mask on first. Of course not. Of no. course not. No, that's no. A, that 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 being a little bit better every day, and it just might be just. I mean, really, just a little bit better. This could all be easily ameliorated if we got into the frame of of a simple question: How can I help? Yep. That's the you know honestly that just goes back. The Baba Ramdas and the thing that he told everybody, his life changed entirely and at the quantum level when he adopted the one question that he always asks, and that is, how can I help? And with that, 
we are wrapping up. This has been Keep Your Hat On, and this has been a very interesting discussion. We'd love your comments or opinions either uh, on our Facebook page or on social media or on our live stream or on our YouTube videos. Please give us a like, click, and subscribe, but also please comment. We'd love to interface with you. And again, we are going to be back in two weeks. We took a little bit of time off, but we're all back with season number dose. And uh, gosh, people, have yourselves a lovely two weeks. Uh, this has been Keep Your Hat On, the show where hell even we don't know where we're going to go. I have been Andrew Scott. That has been Robert Anthony. That has been Christopher Vacano. And that, of course, uh, has been and continues to be Dr. Mark Peterson. And remember, everybody, keep your hat on. We may end up miles from here. Take care. Visit our merch shop, kyhopodcast.com. Smash the like button. Smash that like button, and we'll see you all again really soon. Everybody take care, and bye-bye. Well, there's a chunk of time you can't get back. From Portland, Oregon, this has been Keep Your Hat On, a big little show about a whole lot of nothing in particular. Keep Your Hat On is a narrowband broadcast network production in association with PodSquadPDX.com. Andrew Scott, executive producer. Robert Anthony and Chris Vacano, associate producers. Our theme music was written and produced by Andrew Scott, along with help from Ron Kajawa. Website design and maintenance by Vacano Creative, Chris Vacano Webmaster. Available at VacanoCreative.com. Audio and video production by Andrew Scott, available at andrewscottmedia.com. Got ideas or comments for the show? Email us at talkback at kyhopodcast.com and don't forget to like, click, and subscribe. On behalf of the boys, I'm your announcer, Michael Brumage. Thanks for listening. Uh, I guess. Oh, an infinity cam. Look at that. Dr. Tongue's 3D House of Hats. They laughed at me in Budapest. They laughed at me in Prague. They laughed at you in Buffalo, too. Shut up, shut up. NBBN. The Narrow Band Broadcast Network. The focus is on you.